Hey Conjugate Chat friends, this is Mike Cunningham from Gill Athletics and I need your help. Or maybe I need to help you. See, we have a crap ton of rubber bumper plates and other weight room items that we need to clearance. We need to clear them out of our factory. That's right, a crap ton. That's the official measurement. All offers will be considered. Email me at mcunningham at gillathletics.com to see the full list and check out the show notes right here on Conjugate Chats for a link to see the items and my email address. Thanks, everybody, and stay strong. And welcome back to another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Before going into the episode, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode and uh, taking the time to sit down and just listen in on what we got going on here on the podcast today. Uh, a couple of things before we get going into the episode is uh, I want to do a couple ad reads for our sponsors, starting with the DOYSC, the Department of Young Strength Coaches. This group is designed for young strength coaches wanting to go into the field of strength conditioning. Whether that's CSCS prep, GA or internship opportunities, or even live discussions, they are a resource for young coaches to take advantage of. I'll put the link to the Discord in the description of this episode. Also, Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. Their powerhouse platform provides coaches with the elevated experience when it comes to program development, data tracking, and staying connected with athletes and clients. Team Builder is also full of tools that coaches need, like multiple max training methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with the promo code CONJUGATE to receive a 30-day free trial as well as a 52-week football workout program. Please be sure to sit back listen in and enjoy this episode of the conjugate chats thank you and welcome back to another episode of the conjugate chat i am your host john mark raspberry current strength coach over at dyer county high school I have on today Travis Webb from the Canyon School over in North Carolina, I believe. Is that correct? Yep. Well, Travis, welcome to the Conjugate Chats, man. So I know we kind of chat up a little bit and try to get some things in order uh, before you know rolling this episode. Uh, but it's awesome to have you on, man. Yeah, Raz, man, appreciate you having me on. It was uh, it was kind of an honor when you asked me to come on because you know Kyle Kyle was on, Coach Hoover was on, just the the amount of coaches that have come through here and you've talked to. Um, it's just awesome to be part of it and continue to learn from everybody that you've that you've been uh, you know in contact with. So appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Well, give the listeners a little synopsis about you. Uh, where you're from? How'd you get into strength and conditioning? Why go into strength and conditioning? And where you're at currently? Yeah. So um, again, Travis Webb, CSCS, USAW. Um, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. So. Lived up there for my almost entire life. Went to Cleveland State, graduated from Cleveland State, um, and it was during there in my undergrad where, again, I originally was a sport management major. Realized very quickly I didn't want to sit behind a desk and be, you know, at a rec center. So I was like, hey, I can't do this. I got to figure something else. Um, scrolling through Twitter one day, video of Scott Cochran pops up, just yelling at the Alabama football team. I said, you know what? 
So whatever that is, that sounds cool. I'm in. Let's roll. So I started doing a bunch of research, um, kind of changed my major over. Um, wish now that I would have gone kind of the PE route versus just getting exercise science undergrad, but um, that's hindsight. So you kind of just figure it out as you go. Um, it was at Cleveland State where I did my first kind of experience. I had to do like a 30-hour class that led into a part-time job at a private facility called Athletic Performance Training Center. Um, it was kind of a little bit more one-on-one, one-to-five. Again, the, the facility itself was really small. So kind of just got really dug into what you kind of call personal training at that point. From there, um, again, that led to being there for a little bit for about a quarter of a summer and realized like, you know what, this is not the price of admission. Um, what I wanted to do. So I was like, just wasn't fulfilling enough. Had to go do like my full-time undergrad internship, walked into a, you know, I was thinking I was emailing like six or seven schools in Ohio. Cause there's not a lot of them that, that have a high school strength conditioning coach. So I, you know, reached out to all these guys just trying to find an internship. I was lucky enough to find a guy named Travis Lombardozzi who was at, who's currently still at Brunswick High School. And as soon as I walked in his doors, it was a a gym that was, you know, turned into a weight room from an old auto body repair center. So it had this dungeon feel to it, like the old metal weights, old barbells. Um, And you're getting in there and you're like, see, you know, music's bumping and you're just like, hey, I, this is what it is. Like, I, I, this is where I want to be, get excited. And and we started rolling and, and I was fortunate enough there to, again, within two weeks, kind of learn his system. And then he kind of just started, hey, you're going to roll this, you're going to run that. Um, so I was named kind of like the head strength coach for girls basketball and boys lacrosse um, programs, ran all that through him. And again, I'm, I'm very grateful for that experience because at that point, I learned really quick, high school strength conditioning is, is a must and a want. Like it was just an experience that was none other. So fast forward a little bit, COVID hits. Um, again, I'm kind of a part-time assistant guy, so they 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 decided to close the doors to anybody that was not essential personnel or full-time staff. So I was kind of left on my feet for a moment there. I was kind of programming virtually, um, and then they finally said, like, "Hey, we're we're just going to kind of part ways and 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 move forward with with COVID stuff and protocols." So at that point, I realized, you know what, I got to figure out something else. I got to find some more experience. So I started looking up GA spots, internships, grad school, um, stumbled upon, you know, I think I guess probably applied for maybe eight or 10 of those, um, heard back from five or six, ended up going to University of Massachusetts, uh, Amherst, working with their sports performance staff in football um, under A.T. Turner, Coach Bach and Joel Reinhardt. So those three kind of really set the tone for what collegiate strength and conditioning was. Um, which after having an experience at high school and a private facility, walking into a college setting was, was, you know, kind of mind blowing at first, because again, you have a facility that one, you have a nutrition station, you have every access point that you need, you know, any piece of equipment you have. I think we ordered four hit press in my first week that we were there. So, um, everything was just like kind of coming at you fast and whirlwind. And, but it also was at that same point, I was like, it just didn't fill the bucket like like the high school gym setting felt. Um, again, and, and it's now since changed a little bit more with NIL stuff. Um, the developmental piece I realized quickly was like what I really, really enjoyed as much as I did love the weight room and training and all that stuff. Like developing athletes beyond the weight room was was really kind of what centered my niche, if you will. And and so, again, that kind of led me to come back after after UMass to Ohio 
look for Ohio jobs and strength conditioning at the high school level. Again, not a lot unless it's an independent private school. So um, ended up getting kind of a job at a private facility again, working through there until I was like, you know what, again, learned quickly, private sector, not for me. That's not a bash. That's again, I think there's a lot of good, good private sector guys. I think there's a lot of bad private sector guys, um, just like there is at any level. But um, private sector for me, in my experience was cookie cutter programming. Hey, we're going to give you a three by 10 program and call it gold. And for me, that was, that just wasn't it. And I learned really quickly that like, I don't want to have to sell myself for what I think is right. And I don't want to steal money from parents when they think it's the best programming when it's not. So, um, so that led me through constant research to find where I'm at now at Cannon School. Um, I think I applied for the job 30 minutes after it was posted um, and said, you know what, like I got to get it at the high school level no matter what it took. And that meant going where the opportunity was coming from Ohio to North Carolina. Um, my fiance at the time, now wife, was like, are we really sure we're going to North Carolina? And I said, hey, like the opportunity when it comes, like you have to take it and you have to seize it because you just don't know in this field where it's going to come and when it's going to come. Um, or in your, in my case, like with COVID stuff, like there was a, a brief discussion at that point where I was going to be brought on as an assistant there and then COVID hits and, and, and you're looking for something else. So um, now at Cannon School, um, I've been here for about a year and a half, almost um, in the summer here, I'll be here for a year and a half. And as I was telling, telling Coach Raz here a little bit ago, like now at, you know, about six months in my, our AD here was uh, either, I think she left, I'm not exactly sure the, 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 the words that transpired there, but my director of sports performance, Sean Powell, was named interim co-athletic director. So for the last six months, he's been serving in that role. He just came back in the summer, but the last six months, I've kind of been heading our program and and doing what I can to to lead us in the right direction in his absence. So um, so that's kind of what I do. And then obviously I work with our return to play athletes. So it's been an experience, a lot of a lot of stuff in the last really four or five years, um, a lot of experience, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of failures and some wins. So. Absolutely, man. And, you know, there's kind of a lot to pack there, just, you know, in your backstory of how you got into strength and conditioning. Uh, one thing that I think's not even really talked about that much, and I think it's talked a little bit more, but not that much, is going into an undergrad program and going into, like, physical education uh, rather than the exercise science, which I think both are important. I think the exercise, learning or exercise science and learning how to build a physical education curriculum is essential um but one leaves you with the teaching license that's really easy to get into school and the other one doesn't um so i i think that's something that's been touched on you know a few times here and there but it's not touched on enough man one of the things and again like i said i mentioned my mentor at brunswick travis lombardozzi and, and so like he kind of took the the pe route got his undergrad actually from cleveland state as well and again got it in pe and then he was kind of like, he, he always mentioned it, right place, right time. As soon as he graduated, Brunswick was looking for someone to come in, teach like one health class, and then try and create this health and wellness program. So much similar to probably a lot of coaches out there, you know, he was volunteering time after school to kind of like, hey, I'll help write programs, do all this stuff. And I'm going to teach, you know, teach my, my health classes during the day. And then that went from hey, I'm going to volunteer all this time to, hey, let's make this a stipend position on top of my stuff to also having now two classes, weightlifting one, weightlifting two throughout the school day. So now he only teaches one health classes, teaches those two, two strength conditioning courses, as well as programming for all varsity athletics at the school. 
And so, like, he always told me every single day, he was like, you should have gone PE. You should have gone PE because, like, and, and here I am again, a naive, naive, just, you know, recent graduate, like, or, or still kind of going through undergrad, like, well, it's too late now, you know? So, like, you, you realize kind of, like I said, in hindsight, what you could have done or what something could have led you to. Again, I'm, I, I think in any lesson, in any life, like, whatever we go through is, is always kind of, like, neither here, you know, here or there. Like, you got to figure it out no matter what. Um, and like now, like, I think I've reached out to you before about trying to find masters of, you know, of arts and teaching and stuff like that, because for most public schools, and, and I know Kyle's touched on this a lot is that like, you're not, you're not getting brought in unless you have it. And obviously there's some accelerated, accelerated, you know, routes you can get into to, to get you into a school. But, um, unless you're kind of at like where I'm in, which is an independent school or private school, like it's essential that you get that, that PE licensure. So. Yeah, man. And that's one thing, like, that's why I went and got, and I posted on Twitter the other day of, you know, got my health and wellness endorsement. So I'm not sitting here teaching biology, you know, six classes out a day and, you know, had to go after school or go before school to teach strength and conditioning. Like I can do that in school now uh, because of that endorsement. And there's always kind of like, I know in Texas, there's a accelerated program, which you talk about, where you don't have to go get a master's degree. And to get your teaching license but in some states uh, i don't know about north carolina but i know tennessee wise that you gotta go through education preparation program and then you gotta go through um, your practitioner license and then you gotta pass the practice exam for whatever course subject that you want to teach man i, I mean it's it's strenuous but at, at the same time like if you want to go into, into the public school and you know there are people that are like you that are in independent schools or private schools where you don't need a teaching license. But there's a ton of public schools out there, man, that could use a strength coach as well. Well, it's funny, and I've kind of touched on it briefly, but in Ohio, it, it, at least in my experience, and, and again, I'm sure there'll be some coaches out there that, you know, say there's an easier route. Um, but like where I was in Northeast Ohio, a lot of the, a lot of the high schools want to take the cheap route, right? Where they're going to they're gonna pay a private facility, you know, whatever that coaching stipend would be, and say, hey, come coach my kids after school for three hours and pay them whatever that stipend is. That's great because it's cheap. And again, but at the same point, like I've mentioned, a lot of those private guys are doing, and and again, I'm not talking all private guys. So again, I'm not bashing. They're doing a cookie cutter three by 10 and calling it gold. And for me, again, that's not, that's not helping the students. That's not building a, a, a culture. That's not building a program. And it sure as heck isn't going to lead to ultimate success of the of the school because they're getting the same, you know, your your school is getting that same training as the rival school down the road. And and you you want to be able to separate yourself and win some games, especially against your competitors. And and a private school, like again, in that private sector training coming in after school in Ohio, like I was like, there's better ways to do this. You just have to see it. And then they have to believe in it to to get somebody qualified to, you know, in the building that's there all day, not just, Hey, we're going to bring somebody in from three to six and call it gold. Because for me, there's again, that lack factor in terms of development, that's beyond the weight room. So like being, being present, being, you know, being at games, having the kids come and see you talk to you, because that's what that for me is what, what really drives the program is when they can sit there and say, Hey coach, like I love the weight room, but I, I, I have a question about your experience in this, or I want to learn from you in this, because I think you're really good at how you present yourself in this, that I want to be able to do the same in this. And like, for me, you don't get that when you're not on the, you know, on campus for eight hours. If you're not on campus for eight hours, 
you're you're not getting that developmental piece that I think is beyond crucial for any level. And that kind of leads into one of the conversations that we're going to talk about. And I know this is a little bit out of order than what we talked about, but like your internship program and then also talking about your fellowship program as well. Because like, you know, you're saying that, you know, these kids can come in and talk to you and like, coach, I, I love what we do here. I love lifting weights. How did you get into strength and conditioning? How can I go into sport performance, strength and conditioning, everything in between? So talk to us about your internship. I know I, I, it's been publicized a lot because I know Andre Knoll was one of them that y'all has an intern and now he's a director of uh, strength and conditioning. I can't remember the school, but you know, you're starting to pump out guys and people that are you know being directors of strength and conditioning at other schools so what are you doing specifically in those internships to prepare people for those roles so our director of sports performance sean powell he he went to uncc um university of north carolina charlotte um and he's been partnered so he's been here at cannon for nine years now and he's been partnering with the school he's on the kinesiology board trying to get more more students into strength conditioning not just on an exercise phys track um, so we've pulled a lot of students from UNCC, um, again, just in, in terms of how they're the school structure and kind of some of their stuff, we're kind of now starting to reach out to some, some more localized, some more other schools and stuff like that to try and continue getting more qualified candidates. Um, and again, just bring in more again, every school wants to bring in as many interns as we can. Right. Um, and when you have two passionate coaches that are, that are, you know, 100% invested and love what we do. We're trying to, as much again, if we can bring in 16 interns a, a year, and again, I just mentioned it 16 because I think Elon just brought in like 15. Um, I know Kyle's got like 11 or 12. So, um, so again, if you can get more people in the door, one, you're, you're going to be able to do more at, as a staff, you're going to be able to do more for your student body, but you're also going to be able to build a culture that is 100% enticing of trying to, again, set them up for the most success beyond your your program. So what we do, again, we'll run them through, you know, if it's a semester long internship, again, we just have um, kind of an internship manual that we'll try and sit down and have what I call whiteboard sessions once a week. Um, and I think, I know a lot of people do that, but I think it's, it's really important to understand that those whiteboard sessions have to be interactive. They can't just be us sitting up top, you know, at a, you know, on the whiteboard lecturing, because I think since COVID and even prior, probably, especially people in this field, like you, you learn by doing and you learn by, by asking questions and you learn by, by conversation again, much like, much like the podcast, right? Like you learn by, by talking to others. So like we ask a lot of questions and I, I ask a lot of it, a lot of questions because I can sit up there and talk about linear periodization or block periodization or, you know, conjugate or tier or whatever it might be. But like, if you don't understand those things and you're not willing to ask the question, say, Hey coach, I don't, I don't understand what max effort strength is, or I don't understand what, you know, what percentage power is or, or, you know, stuff like that. Like, well, I'm just sitting up there talking to a wall and, and we're not getting you any better. We're not preparing you for that next step. So, so in Andre's case, again, Andre was fortunate enough because we got Andre through Kyle. So he had done an internship with Audrey Kell and Kyle Jackson over there. And so he came here and we'd already been speaking some of the same language as Kyle. So he was able to kind of step right in and go through some of our stuff, which ultimately set him up to go take a director role, right? But same thing as it is, is you know, in, in the way we look at things is if you're a director of sports performance, your job is to prepare your assistant to be a director of sports performance. 
if I'm the assistant strength coach, right, it's my job to pre prepare an intern to go take an assistant job. So, or again, in some cases, you know, be a director of strength conditioning. So in that curriculum, again, we cover anything from programming speed to programming the weight room to leadership, resume building. Um, one of the things that that I was taught at, at UMass Amherst is like, what are you going to do to stand out? So like, if you're applying for a job or an internship or an assistant, whatever it might be, how do you separate yourself from the other guy, right? And I think we've all probably been in a situation where we might have applied for a job and we're turned down and, and we sit there and we think about, okay, why didn't I get this job or what, what, what did I not answer the way they want it? And some of it's obviously relational and some people just answer questions that may fit the person's beliefs a little bit better. Um, but how do you prepare yourself or prepare your individuals to separate themselves from another person? And in my case, like the way I do that and the way I teach that is like, I think your resume has to be superb and it needs to stick out. It can't just be, you know, a word template and say, hey, this is what it is. Um, and this is what my experience is, because the chances are nowadays everybody has similar experience. So what what did you do in your experience that makes you stand out? Right. And we, one of the things we'll talk about, obviously, is tech. So, like, what was your experience with tech? Because if you're not if you're not doing any tech or you're not working with any tech, chances are you're behind the curve when you're going to the to your next job. So and then in some cases, you might be overqualified in tech where the school's looking at you and hearing all this stuff about your tech and saying, we don't have the, the financial backing or the, the support to, to give you those things. So, so we, we know we can't afford you, you know what I'm saying? So like in those cases, it, it could hurt you, but like, again, how do you stand out for what job you're trying to apply? And for me, again, it's resume and portfolio. So like I try and give my students and our, our interns and fellow now who, what, what, what we're trying to create opportunities to have certified artifacts for when they apply to the job, they've already done some of that, right? Like it's okay to talk about resistance training programs and sit on a board and go over that for an hour, but have them do it, right? Like have them program, have them program in a way that they wouldn't normally program, right? Like a lot of people are familiar, obviously they read the essentials book and they come out, okay, I'm going to do a linear block periodization. I'm going to go from hypertrophy, basic strength, power, peak, and my least favorite word of all times, I cringe whenever I hear it, maintenance, right? Like we're going to do all those things and that's just what we're going to do. And then I look at them and say, okay, well, now I'm going to, now I'm going to throw tear at you. How are you going to manipulate this, right? We're looking for strength, power, and repetition, right? Then we can talk anything else and we can go from there and get them outside of their comfort zone. Because if you're not getting them out of their comfort zone, well, whenever they apply for a job after your program, they're not going to be prepared for that because they're, they're not, they're not used to being uncomfortable. So when you, when you prepare yourself in an uncomfortable situation and you do stuff that makes you uncomfortable, like when you go and apply for a job and it's already an uncomfortable environment, you're like, Hey, coach Webb or, or coach Pallet, Yeah. I remember when they, they were talking about being uncomfortable and, and then I actually did some of that stuff. And now I feel a little bit more confident in my ability to go do these things. So it's a little bit different than just sitting on a whiteboard and having a conversation, but like, again, like, what are you preparing them for? And how, what are they doing in your, in your intern, right? Because if they're just coming here to clean racks, like, and, and make protein, like you're lacking in the ability to prepare them again. Like we set up our, our fellowship, which we're trying to create, um, which will be a year long intern, essentially. Um, they're going to come in and they're going to own a seventh and eighth grade middle school PE class. Like that will be theirs. Like we'll show them the ropes of how we want it to look after that. You're going to, they're going to program for it. They're going to own it. They're going to be expected to, to own a room full of 40 seventh grade kids and say, hey, um, that's you. 
and I'll critique and we have a good evaluation form of what we do and the standards that we try and create and, and they get instant feedback. So um, they're going to, they're going to own that. And then after that, like our internships assist, like we're teaching our, our interns how to be an assistant. Right. So sometimes like, again, what I did in this past six months is that we had Andre and Andre would come in and he would, he would own our distance, uh, our distance and our sprinters groups. And, and I would kind of be in the corner um, next to my intern, who my intern was becoming the assistant. And then Dre became the, uh, the uh, kind of the lead role there. And I'm in the corner kind of critiquing and just managing, managing my coaches saying, hey, like, do this or own this, or I want you to do this because it's going to flow better. Um, and then just being able to talk flow of room and talk, you know, methods and, hey, this is why we do it this way. And this is why I need you to be a little bit more rowdy, or this is why I need you to be here. Because again, you're the thermostat. so putting them in, in positions to want to own it and then give feedback. Again, when they leave here, man, they, they should be ready to roll. Now, again, that's on them, right? So like they're going to get what, what they give and I'm not, when we, they, they earn the right to coach in that, in that lead role. Um, but once they've kind of earned that and earned that spot, we say, Hey, run with it because our, we have a two story weight room. So upstairs we can only house 12 athletes. So we start them upstairs. Hey, it's you and you and 12. That's it. So if you can own those 12, okay, you can own the, the 28 that we have downstairs um, when you're ready for it, right? So putting them in positions to win and then putting them in, in positions to fail because if they don't fail, again, they're, they're, not, they're not set up for, for success because you have, to, you have to fail to succeed, in my opinion, because you learn through those failures. So I think that's kind of what we're doing. I think that, again, I, there's a lot of people, I know Coach Ken, um, Coach Hoover, they say it a lot, like what we do here may not work for other people. Our philosophies, how how I throw, you know, some of our interns into situations to fail, um, that might be frowned upon by some people. But I think, as I just said, like you have to fail in order to let them win because it, it allows them to have a conversation and a coaching point to say, hey, that was in my back of my mind when I did that. I wish I would have known to do it like this. And then when they go and they get a director role like Dre, like Dre's already came back. Um, you know, he, like he started like this, this Monday and he's already came back once, twice this week or texted me and said, Hey coach, like, how would you do this? I'm in this situation. I want to run it like this. And he was, he was a non-tier guy. He said, you know, I'm going to run block. I'm going to run, do this. And I said, Hey man, this is why we would do tier and maybe a way to, that's going to make it easier for you. Or in my previous jobs, this is what I did and how it worked in, in that environment, which is going to be more like his. So, Hey, try this or try that. And now he's, again, he's running tier and he's going to run some other stuff. And again, that's on him, but like, you just got to set people up to win, man, because if they're not, if they're not set up, like you failed as an internship coordinator to, to, to prepare your students, if they're not going to go take another job or, and again, I know coach Ken and Peter can have talked about this. If you're not going to consider one of your own, like, again, like I'm setting them up to take my job. So again, if I go and get a director role, I want to make sure that they're they're primed and ready to go because they should be first in line for for my job if I take a take a director role. So um, if you're not considering some of your own, like I want to make sure that we're ready to go um, at, at all points. Awesome, Travis. And you know, experience is kind of the best teacher. Um, if we are being honest with ourselves, because like if we are going to learn from our success and learn from our failures, it's going to be through experience. Um, you know, everyone can have the CSCS and the CFSC and the USAW and RPR and all the other letters that come afterwards. But I mean, honestly, if you're not putting yourself out there and on the floor coaching, 
teaching, you know, progressing, all the good, wonderful stuff that we want to do, I mean, it's real tough to sell yourself if you don't have experience on the floor. And I learned it firsthand because I'm like, well, I'm going to have my program out and it's going to be ABC, you know, whatever. And, you know, I got to my first strength job and it was, it was complete crap. And, you know, it got tossed, you know, tossed out week one. I was like, well, you know, got to adjust, got to, you know, look at logistics, right? Um, if I'm programming for like med balls, but the school doesn't have med balls, then that's your, your program is already screwed, man. Like it, it just takes experience. And um, what you're doing for your internships and fellowships is bringing them to and exposing them to successes and failures. Um, and you got to have both, man. Because if you're not failing, you're not learning. But I also think if you're succeeding, you're doing something right. So either you're learning or you're doing something right. And you kind of kind of hit, you know, on, on, a, on a good point is that like exposing, like I mentioned about that uncomfortableness, like be, being exposed to being uncomfortable allows them to learn how to adapt. And so like when we have our students, our interns program, like I don't want them to program how we program because if they don't believe it, right, and if they don't think that's the best way, like I always tell them, like I have templates that like, you know, we use team builder, but I have like, you know, old school Excel templates that, that, you know, and I know there's obviously guys and, you know, that are making them on and, and selling them and stuff like that. But like, I give them a template and say, Hey, this is the only one I'm going to give you, but I don't even want you to program using my template. I want you to make exactly how you would want to make it. Again, what I've learned in the last couple batches of interns we've had is that some kids just don't know how to use Excel. Um, so I give them a template, but like make it how you want to make it. And then understand, like, I'm going to critique it and tell you if, it, if it's going to be effective or not, or not, or I'm just going to ask questions about what happens when you have an, you know, an athlete that's injured or what happens when you have this and, or you plan for that, like you said about med balls and you don't have med balls, or again, you plan to have, you have 13 racks and you plan to have med balls at every rack and you only got seven or two break or whatever. And just being able to adapt, you know, being able to adapt and understand that, like, again, how we do things may not be what you'll do whenever you go and take a job somewhere else. Like one of the things that I learned throughout my internships and my, my experience is that, is that like wherever you go, like people are going to do it how they want to do it. And it's your job to figure out whether or not you like it or not. Right. Because otherwise, obviously we're molded by our mentors, but I have to decide, okay, I really like that or I hated that. And I have to be able to understand it enough to be able to make the decision of saying, I'm not going to take exactly what Raz did whenever I leave him, right? Like, I'm not going to do exactly what Coach Webb did because he taught me how to do it. Like, your job as an intern, one is to learn, but also to understand how to apply. Because if you're not willing to understand how to apply it and you're just taking what we do, yeah, that might work for a little while. But in two years or a year, when your athletic director goes, hey, this isn't working, okay? And the only thing you've ever known is one thing and it just doesn't work for your school. Well, again, now you have to learn how to figure out how to coach completely different or figure out a different philosophy and say, hey, I'm going to change my method and I'm going to go this instead of that and hope it works. But like, that's what I want to set them up for during the internship process is like creating their own self-thought because if they just do what I do or they just like what I like, again, they're going to fail whenever they go in the real world because it's just, again, what we do here at Canon may not work wherever they go. And you said something pretty important as well, having their own thought process. You know, it's easy, and I fell in this trap too. Of I look on social media, I'm like, oh, that looks really good. I'm going to try that in my own program. And then try it on my own program, and it turns out completely just like a mess, man. But, like, 
And that's such important for a young strength coach and anyone that's really wanting to go into sport performance, strength and conditioning, human performance, whatever wording you want to use. Um, that's such a huge like quality to have because like you can't think like other people because um, you know you and I heard this from a time or two like you can't take the University of Alabama's strength program because you don't have the University of Alabama's players, right? You can't do what you did at Cannon over at this other school because the logistics are different you know i can't do what you do over there um you know there's some things that you know uh, maybe mark hoover's doing over at um his school and is it south carolina um uh, so he's actually in north carolina now he's at metrolina that's what it was i couldn't think of the name it's like our that's like actually one of our rival games so we're excited now that he's over there too but he's you know he's killing it over there but you know he's has strong opinions but of like well, I don't care if you, you know, back squat, front squat, you know, this is what we're doing here. I don't care if you a little bit lift or don't little bit lift. This is what we're doing here. Uh, and that's such a, like, a key, I think, quality um, component to have as a strength coach. Because, you know, we, we got to have our own thought process. If this doesn't work, what can I do to fix it? And that's where just logistics and stuff like that kind of play in. 100%. And I think it's just a matter of really just, again, exposing them to different thought process. And having them again, you know, have a have a perception to say, "Hey, this is how we do things. This is how I want you to think about it." When you make a program for whatever, I don't want you to do the exact same thing because otherwise, like I said, they're they're just going to sit there and say, "This is what you guys are doing. This is what," and they might like some of the exercises you're doing because some kids may not have ever had experiences using those, and so that's fine. Like you can steal the exercises or APRE or whatever we have, but again, you got to realize like. You can't program a velocity, right? If you don't have velocity-based training. So um, when they do that, I'm like, well, where are you going to have that at? You know. So it's just a matter of understanding the the situation and not being a complete Instagram copy paste. Absolutely. And you kind of touch on a little bit too the VPT velocity, you know, whatever. Uh, so let's talk about technology for a little bit because y'all got pretty good amount of technology over at the Cannon School. So um, talk to us about like your catapult system and VPT. Everything is between how you implement that into your own program. So, yeah. So, again, fortunate enough here to, to have pretty much the works, if you want to call it that. We have Team Builder. Um, we have four, four TVs downstairs that display the workout. It's on 55-second rotation. So, um, kids get, get it right to them. Two iPads at every rack. Um, we'll have one for Team Builder. Then we'll have a you know one reading the VBT system. So, um it's it's really easy for us, and I know Kyle Kyle kind of hints on some of the same principles that we have. We use kind of a a tier system, triphasic model. So we'll go if it's a you know twelve week program, you know we'll divide that in three phases: phase one, eccentric; phase two, iso; and then we'll go full speed, ready to roll at the end. Um, and then for for us, it really allows us to in those phases for VBT, anyways, set it at a specific programmable velocity that we know we're going to train strength, or I know I'm going to train power. Um, and I'm going to be able to work kind of that force velocity curve and get them as close to kind of an absolute max or absolute strength as possible um, towards the tail end. So, so again, we use APRE as well, so we, we can kind of set that auto-regulatory um, basis for those guys to kind of progress. Um, but it allows us, too, to give the load that the, absolute, like, that the athlete needs that day. So, again, we all know high school athletes are a little bit different probably than, than most, so... Um, they might come in feeling really good today, or they might 
come in feeling really beat up. So again, having that that kind of premise and and they might be prescribed 255 on a back squat and they're supposed to hit it at 55 and then they might be hitting it at 0.85 that day cuz they're feeling really good. Um so again, now now today let's let's bump up the weight and get it get the stimulus that we're trying to achieve. So I think for me like I really love the VBT system just because it allows us to to really know instantaneously that I'm training strength or I'm training, you know, speed and power and then allowing us to give the kid the stu- the stimulus that they need today um with the the appropriate load because like for me like again if i want to train strength and i know a kid's moving at 0.85 well we're not training strength anymore right so i gotta i gotta up the load a little bit for today even if their numbers are saying hey that's not where we're going so it allows us to kind of up that or or, you know adjust on the daily of what we want to do so um vbt for us again that's kind of how we use it in terms of just kind of understanding outputs and stimuli um, which again, if you can do those two things with VBT, I think you're using it about as best you could. Um, uh, one thing I want to dive a little deeper into is velocity profiling. Um, it's one thing we haven't really done very well, um, just because of flow and time and stuff like that. Again, obviously we have 39 students here at a time, um, usually two strength coaches, and then it's just, it's just difficult to kind of have the time to sit at the computer and try and figure out a velocity profile. Um, so that's kind of our, our velocity take. And then obviously now, we are one of two two schools to have a shred mill, um, two high schools that have a shred mill in North Carolina. So we were the first, and then Coach Hoover got one at Metrolina. So, so again, like I said, now this year the rivalry game should be a little bit more amped up in terms of speed. Um, the, the shred mill for us has been awesome because we get to train speed year-round. Um, again, even though we're in North Carolina and the weather is great outside, we don't always get time to go do it outside or set up a program to go and do speed work. Um, so be able to train speed in the weight room has been astronomically a, a difference maker for us. Um, we've seen again, in the, in terms of catapult, I started tracking max acceleration, max deceleration, all that stuff. And, um, something we didn't track last year, but we've already seen, again, obviously some of it could be inflated from system to system. Obviously I don't have any, any experience with Titan or sensors or anything like that, but, um, you know, I know just through like what Mullins has posted and what um, Hoover's posted, like we've had some kids over 6.0 kind of consistently in terms of max acceleration. We've had probably two kids hit 7.0 in terms of max, max acceleration. So so obviously what I would say is it correlates in the shred mills working. Um, and obviously there's an, an app with our shred mill that automatically gives us a live bell curve and all that stuff to to understand and profile students based off of force curves and um, are they more of a for, force runner or are they a better form runner? And then we can prescribe individually there. Um, so that's been huge for us in terms of there. And then obviously we have our plyomat tech and all that stuff. But in terms of catapult, treadmill, and VBT, I think those are the big three for me that that I've absolutely loved about being at Cannon because I would have never had that opportunity to work with any of those um, in Ohio where I was at. So Catapult's been awesome because we had we have coaches with our football program that 100% bought in. We'll change the practice plan based on who's you know who's in red for the day before, or, you know who's had consistent reds. And I've uh, we've set up meetings, kind of preseason meetings with our with our football coaches, kind of about what the daily load should look like and how their practice plan should fit what the catapults want. Um, so like for me, the way I kind of do it is based on explosion rate. Kyle kind of does it the same way. Um, so we've kind of taken that formula where I take their player load divided by their power plays, and then that's going to give me an explosion rate. And then we can kind of standard deviate what positions look like and stuff like that. Um, so I talk with our, like I in, am in constant communication with our head football coach about 
hey, so-and-so needs to be backed off in terms of low today, or he needs to be he needs to be thrown in there more because yesterday was too light. Um, and we're just trying to prepare our students for, for Friday night, right? So, um, again, early in the week for me, like I want to have some high competitive reps and be kind of in the in the red for both of those Monday, Tuesdays, um, kind of back off and have like a high speed day is what I call on Thursdays, and then kind of get them kind of primed and ready to go. So, again, fortunate enough that we can have that data and have coaches that, that want to understand the data um, and understand what we do beyond the weight room. Um, again, that's why, you know, I love that you mentioned it earlier about strength, conditioning, sports performance, human performance. Like uh, I think strength and conditioning puts us in a box and nowadays like sports performances, again, allows us to understand that we're doing a little bit more than just lifting weights. Um, so having coaches that understand and want to have the data is, is a critical piece in the catapult um, units because otherwise, if not, I'm just kind of, again, it's, it's that old saying, like you're collecting data, but what are you doing with it? So for us, again, like we're we're using it daily. Like our coaches want to know the data. They want to know who's read, who's getting overworked, who's being underworked. Um, and then how can we apply it to to our practice plan? How can we apply it to um to our weekly load and all that stuff and and you know, kind of prime ourselves to to compete on Friday nights. And I said before on here and you know, the time of guessing what we want to achieve in training conditioning, human performance, sport performance is pretty much over at this point you know we got so much technology and so much information out there that the time of guessing what you want to achieve or what is being achieved inside your weight room your facilities is pretty much over you know um especially with stuff like vpt if we are looking at like max effort right you know if the bar speed is at like you said 0.8 you know we probably need to bump it up a little bit um but if we're looking at like dynamic effort and the bar speed is like, at, uh, I don't know, like 0.5 or 0.3. I, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure of that scale of, you know, of what that looks like on there. But uh, I know a little bit of VPT, you know, terminology. But, like, if the bar speed is not going as fast on a max effort day, then the, the load probably needs to be off, right? So the, pretty much the, the, the days of looking at what we're doing in the weight room and guessing it's like, I guess we're doing the right thing. It's, it's pretty much over. Well, I always joke with our interns and obviously it's more complex than this, but to be a really good strength coach, I think you got to understand really five things, right? You got to understand, understand, you got to understand the basics. You got to understand hypertrophy, strength, and power. And you got to know the difference of those. You got to understand the said principle. And you got to understand progressive overload. If you can understand those five things really, really well, then you can adjust kind of and understand your program to to kind of meet those demands, right? And the VBT allows us to know the first three. The APRE system that we run, obviously through Brian Mann, allows us to progressively over, overload appropriately and use the set principle almost consistently. So we know, again, through VBT, the set principle, we're being specific because we're trying to get, you know, power, speed, um, or strength. So I understand that. And hypertrophy is obviously kind of you just have to understand that you're building tissue. Um, but again, if you can understand those five things, I think, I think you can pretty much build a program that that'll work, but then you add VBT and now you can, you know, again, you take out that guess point, right? So like, I know, I know we're getting stronger because we're in this range for what I know is strength. And I know I'm in this range for what I know is speed and power. Um, and then again, I know, again, just through whatever method you kind of want to use, if we progressively overload it appropriately, well, we're going to get stronger, we're going to get faster and we're going to be able to roll. Um, and again, it's obviously not as simple as I just briefly, you know, previously mentioned, because you have to understand a little bit deeper than that, that surface level material. Um, but I always tell my, tell my students, right. That's why 
for me, the essentials book like doesn't lay it out well enough because you can understand linear programming. But like, again, like I said before, if you're thinking maintenance in season, well, we're missing a big bucket. Like we got to go fast. Like we got to get stronger in season. Otherwise, like I always put it like in a curve. So if that, if that goes up too, too much and then drops too fast when you get an in season, well, that's when your injuries happen. So so we're trying to, again, consist, consistently build. And, and I always use the, the three words, prime, prepare, and uh, perform, because if I, if I prime right at the right time, right, I'm going to be prepared. And that's really kind of backwards. So I'm going to prepare and prime. Prepare is going to build the strength. Prime is going to be moving, moving stuff fast. And then perform, obviously, I'm going to go out on Friday night or wherever out and, and be at my, my best game stance. So um, I think that the tech now just allows us to really understand what are we doing? Is it working? Is it achievable? Is it not working? How do I adapt? And, and it allows you to really understand what, what are we doing that's, that's, that's either, again, not right or that will help us. And I think it helps to have coaches that are built in um, and bought into what you're trying to do. Because again, like I said, if you're just trying to collect data through catapult or, you know, I think it, again, I, like I said, we're still using VBT kind of as a, as a surface level thing. I think once we get into velocity profiles and stuff like that, we're going to really kind of step up that game. Um, but the coaches being bought into what we're doing and the, and, and really the, the students being bought in because like, that's really for us, even more so the VBT we've seen a drastic increase with all of our female athletes using VBT because again, Hey, I, I think this is too heavy. Then you put them on the thing and they're moving at 1.0. Okay. So, Hey, not heavy right now. We got, now we got work to go work to do because it's one thing to like say, Hey coach, you just want me to lift heavy and I'm going as heavy as I can. It's one, another thing for them to see it live back to them and saying, coach, like I, only, I moved that eight, five. Okay. Well now again, like we got to move at five, five. So you got to add some weight. And then it's like, now we're building monsters and our females are bought in because it's like, okay, now I know that like I can actually train and now we're rolling because like that was the biggest thing for us. I think for me in the last six months is that our female, our, like our basketball program was completely bought in. And I think it just changed the culture this year because they understood like, Hey, I got to get stronger and I got to jump higher and I want to be the best athlete that I can be. And if the weight room's not there and that's the missing link, right. Well, we got to figure it out. So the VBT allowed us to kind of really build that with them and drive that, that culture. I'm always interested in VPT, man, because like you, there's so much that you can do with it. And you were talking about like that velocity profile that you can actually, you know, do with it and get more in depth into, you know, what exactly are we looking for and how we're going to achieve it? Are they moving at the right rates? You know, everything like that. Man, that's incredible, man. Yeah, it's been awesome, too. And like I know Kyle says it a lot, but like you can't move bad slow. So like when you know what I mean, like if you're trying to move weight fast and stuff like that, you can really kind of again when it's light, you can kind of adjust the your bar path. And that's the thing too. It gives us live feedback with the bar path. So if we if we know form's not good, it's it's not me being subjective, you know, to only one type of training, you know, powerlifting arch and all that other stuff. Like kids are gonna be like, Oh, I wanna do this or I wanna do that. This is how I feel better at it. And I look at him, I say, Well, where's your bar path at? And they say, Oh, well, it was like straight in front of me or something like that for bench. Well, hey man, like we have work to do. So again, like it's not, it, it takes away us just having to be the coach that's saying, Hey, we, we know best too, because like, I think the old school mentality was like, I'm saying to do this because I'm saying to do it where now we have the tech and the data that says, Hey, it's not just my word saying to do it. Like, this is exactly what the data is telling us it is. 
um, which I think again allows the, the the iPad kids is what I call them um, to understand like hey we're it's not just me being the the hard ass you know what I mean it's it's us having the data to back it up and you know the kids got to understand the why too um, not only just the athletes but coaches admin I think even to a degree parents. Um, you know, people that are involved in that athlete's life need to understand, like, what exactly are we doing? And why do we need, like, GPS units? Why do we need VPT units? Why do we need extra barbells, right? You know, besides, you know, the ones that in our weight room are rusted and falling apart, you know, why do we need these things? Why are we investing in, you know, this strength program? Why are we investing uh, into your program as a coach as well, man? And that's such a vital piece into what we do. I think it's just, again, like I said, that it, it helps, you know, I talk about having coaches that are bought in on the data, but it, it helps provide them, like, it's a benefit to them more than it is us, really, right? Like, knowing that your athlete's going to be fresh when it's, when it's time to be fresh, like, every coach should want that, right? Like, it, it's, it's like, again, we talk about far removed from guessing, we're far removed from having kids run 110s and think that we're training speed and say, hey, I want my, my kids to be faster and, and more explosive and stuff like that. But then you've killed them for three days in a row outside. Well, now I can say, coach, like, hey, we've had back-to-back red days. So-and-so needs to be, like, lightened up a little bit today. Because if we keep pushing him at the rate we're pushing him, like, he's going to have a soft tissue injury, right? Like, we're going to strain a hamstring, strain a quad, whatever it might be. But, like, this is a benefit to them. And, like, if they don't understand that, like, again, like, for us, it's not it's not me being subjective coach saying, like, hey, you're, you're working your kids too hard. It's the data saying, hey, this needs to be adjusted. Now, I'm not saying that we don't work our kids hard. And that's like, again, we just got a new football coach. And that was the conversation with him is that like, I'm not telling you how to run your practice, right? Like I'm giving you suggestions and data that are going to be one live representations of your practice. And we can kind of go from there and plan practice, which was kind of what him and I have done. They first have to understand now he, he's got a little bit of strength conditioning background. So he understands it. But when you're talking to somebody that's maybe been coaching for 40 years and they're just saying like, hey, I just want to run my kids to the ground. We're going to do half gassers or gassers and we're going to do it for time. And my linemen are going to go up and down the field 30 times. Like we're far removed from being able to say like, coach, that's the best way. And, and it's not a subjective thought. It's a like, hey, here's the data, of what it's giving us. And here, let me under, like, let me explain it to you so you can understand it, that we can better prepare for Friday night. Thursday night, whatever the game day is going to be, that's going to allow us to be able to be competitive. Like every school wants to be like, I think every, again, we talk about this all the time. Every high school wants to be the best in all three categories, right? We want to be the best in academics. We want to be the best in arts and we want to be the best in athletics. So like when you start being able to provide data, that's going to allow you to compete and be excellent, right? Does that mean you're going to win every single game? No. Like, again, like you still have to have skill and you have to understand football or the sport, but like, the data is going to allow us to know if we're ready to go. And that's why I was talking about that, that prime prepare and perform, because like when you understand those three things and what I'm trying to use the data for you for, okay, well, coach said that this is, you know, so-and-so has had back-to-back red days. If I push him and I run, have him run 110 today, well, you know, he might get hurt. So now we can't have him on Friday night. And again, right. The best, um, the best ability is availability. So like, if I give the data and you're not using it and so-and-so gets hurt, well, it's not going to be me told me. I'm not going to be like, Hey, well, I told you so it's going to be like, Hey, the data said this and I gave you the data. Now, now it's like a light bulb moment where it's like, all right, coach Webb said the data does this. And it's not, it's not me saying being the strength coach, you know, the weight room guy saying, 
well, why is so-and-so telling me how to run my practice? It's coach, the data has given us this. And we know through experience, like, I don't mean Kyle right now are talking through some, some max deceleration stuff and what we think that that's kind of linked to for some of our athletes. Um, Cause we've both seen a little bit of a trend, but like, it's, it's the little things like that, that we can say, coach, like if we have this in practice too much, so-and-so will get hurt. And it's not my, my opinion. It's literally what you're doing and our data is giving us to say, Hey, we either got to adjust it or not. And if you're not going to adjust it, you're not going to listen to me. And then so-and-so gets hurt. Well, then again, it's not, it's not me being the bad guy here. Right. Um, but I think, again, that's, that's where the, the field of strength conditioning sports performance is so, so turned around and so different now where I think more sport coaches are starting to get it because I think obviously as some, and I say this again, loosely that as some of the older coaches start to kind of obviously retire and move out, like as technology continues to advance, like I know someone that's using AI for real estate stuff. So like as technology advances, like you again, you either get with it or you kind of get lost. And again, if you're not, you're not using it, you're probably going to be again, left in the dust a little bit, because that's why I tell our interns, like you got to learn how to use this stuff while you're here. Because again, we have, we only have 10 units for our, our GPS and we have 13 VBT. So like you're going to get access to those things that some division one programs don't have. So like we had a kid that this past semester wanted to be a sports scientist. I said, Hey man, like I want you to run all of our iPad stuff. Like you're going to do that. You're going to do the VBT stuff. Like that's going to be on you. And then like I showed him how to do VB or I showed him how to use catapult. But I, again, I want to prepare those kids for whenever they go and take a sports scientist job that they can say, Hey, I have experience with catapult or I have experience with the plyo mats. Now we don't have force plates, but like, that doesn't mean they don't understand that. You know what I mean? So I want to expose them to, to all that stuff in terms of tech that's going to prepare them for, for any kind of career that they're trying to do, not just in, you know, maybe coaching, strength, conditioning, and weight room. Yeah, exactly, man. And you kind of mentioned something that I really wanted to kind of touch on because I like the kind of the rehab side of, you know, our uh, sport performance because it's crucial. It happens. We're going to have at least, you know, God forbid, you know, there's going to be a few athletes that get hurt along the way. And, you know, it could be just from freak accidents, you know, accidents, you know, accidents happen all the time. You know, you can pull out the most perfect plan, perfect strength conditioning, plyometric, you know, force absorption, whatever you want, you know, call it plan. But, you know, there's always going to be a freak accident that happens. So hypothetically, if a, if a athlete gets hurt, where are your steps as a return to play coordinator? Um, yeah, let's go there. Yeah. So. I kind of have like what I call a simplified approach. Like I think in terms of methods and everything like that, there's a million ways that you could achieve the same results. Um, obviously blood flow restrictions become a big thing, um, all of that stuff. And, and I'm not saying anything bad about that. Obviously I think like in terms of if we have more um, financial backing that I would want to get some more of that stuff too. And I still have some ideas that I would do, but I, again, I kind of follow like a essentially a, a periodized plan. So the first phase is obviously going to be kind of that acute healing. So primary healing phase where like if it's a lower, you know, maybe it's an ACL injury and we'll just kind of talk ACL, I guess, um, you know, we're just going to work upper body. So like I obviously can't do anything. I can't work with any of that athletes upper or, or lower half. So I'm trying to, again, get as, as strong as I can still the top half, keep everything. Cause I, I still think my biggest thing is that like you still need to train um, even though you're hurt. Right. We, we had, one ACL kid who was here three days a week doing upper body, you know, upper body splits. It was literally, you know, again, and I, 
I hate the term bodybuilding lifts, but like one day he'd be doing some, some chest and arms and the other day it'd be some back and biceps or, you know, whatever it would be, because again, that's all he could do. So, um, understanding that again, just kind of being able to work with what you have and let some of the PTs do that initial part. Um, there is kind of that half and half point and we'll get to it where you get about halfway through that process and the PTs kind of, kind of have led its course. And now they're doing what I say is a, a half-assed job in preparing them to kind of get them ready for sport. So, um, after that primary healing phase, we're going to go into a kind of a protection phase, in which case then it's, it's really minimal, submaximal, very little things where it's literally just trying to do as much range of motion mobility work within that injured area that we're allowed to. So if I say, if I, if I finally get cleared to have an athlete do 90 degrees of range of motion, right, we're going to consistently work within that 90 degree range of motion um, and do whatever, whatever kind of exercise we're able to do. It could be single leg, whatever it might be. Um, some bilateral stuff to do mobility work, right? Like I'm going to work to try and still get some strength work. It could be ISOs. Um, I, I primarily will use ISOs in this kind of protection phase because they're not allowed to really move as much yet. Um, but then we kind of move right into that, that load introduction phase after protection. So once they've been cleared full range of motion, um, and again, this will kind of progress, obviously, as the athlete is able to. Um, so then we kind of work into our load introduction phase. So at this point, now we're working hypertrophy. That's why I kind of said before, if you understand hypertrophy, max strength and power, like everything kind of rolls, rolls in, even with our injured athlete. Um, at this point, load introduction. Now let's start kind of getting some high, hypertrophy back into the, the, the lost tissue um, and try and rebuild it. So at this point, again, it could be, could be a single leg squat, could be, you know, single leg with some load, could be step down, step ups, you know, this thing, things that we're able to do within the range of motions that, again, we're allowed at this point, we should be good to and cleared at 100, 100% range of motion. Um, and then again, like you can choose your method of hypertrophy, however, we're up ranged, whatever exercises you like. I obviously there's, there's specialized exercises that you're going to have to probably do through PT, through um, what I, I would say are our target area exercises. Um, but once is for me, once is they've kind of reached, um, kind of like asymmetrical kind of non-compensation, um, however you want to call it, um, then we can kind of start working strength. So what we'll do again for, for an ACL before we kind of get there, we'll just kind of measure to make sure that, hey, he's at 90% of the same side or the opposite side in terms of size. And that's going to tell us, obviously, we've built some tissue back. Um, once we kind of get there, it's usually around that 60, 75% of their one rep max that we've previously tracked before injury. And then once we've kind of gotten there and we're close in size, usually again, like less, 10, less than 10% in terms of size difference, then we're going to kind of start working that max strength. So we're never going to load them right underneath, you know, at 85, 90% of their one rep max based off the thing. And obviously everything is going to be based off kind of RPE. So how do they feel when they did this? Did they have, you know, did, did the squats we did yesterday give them a seven out of 10 pain level? well, then obviously we're not ready to progress. Um, and so stuff like that, that's kind of how I operate um, in terms of progressing them through these through these phases uh, is just kind of a, a pain scale. So like if we're, um, and obviously there's some numbers and stuff like that that we use in terms of like max strength before we go max. So after max strength, we'll go power. Before I go power, like I want to see that we can go, you know, be at 90, 90% of the strength we were at prior to injury. So um, if we're not there, 
then obviously we don't progress to the power phase. We just stay at 90%. We're working at strength until we can get to that 90% of where we previously were. Um, and then obviously we'll add some, you know, I, I think all my athletes that I've ever worked with that are hurt, like absolutely hate pogos by now, but I think they're like the low, like the lowest hanging fruit in terms of an athlete that has, you know, an ACL injury because you're getting some ground contacts and a lot of them, but you're not, you're not over, over stimulating them where they're putting a lot of force unless you start going high pogos and stuff like that. So, so all my athletes will literally start and do per, like a lot of pogos and they'll, they'll again, obviously that volume will change from, from beginning to end, but they'll progress from, you know, multi, you know, multi-directional pogos to, you know, we'll start linear and all that stuff. And then we'll work to power. And once we get to power phase, you know, we're, we're jumping now. So like, we're doing some, like, I want to see my athlete be at least 90% of their, you know, previous vertical jump before injury. Um, and that's going to kind of tell me where, where we're kind of standing in terms of power, because again, obviously for us, like I don't have force plates that I can tell, you know, an asymmetrical balance, but I'm trying to keep like my simplified approach for return to play injury is that like, I want to keep plan B as close to plan A as possible. So that way, like athlete can go and, and be primed and prepared to go and do exactly what somebody at his position or his sport would be doing. Um, and take those movements that we know that they're going to get a lot of and try and implement them in here. So a lot of the things that I'll do throughout this kind of continuum is put them in positions that are very similar to what they'll do in their sport. Um, again, those ISOs that I talked about at the beginning might be, you know, you might be a wide receiver and kind of like that split stance or something like that, just kind of owning it and we'll work in range of motion. Um, one of the kids I'm working with right now is a defensive end. So like just getting him into like kind of not even a three point stance, but just kind of progressing him to, kind of feel those positions in which he'd step in inside edge and, you know, outside edge and stuff like that and feel that. But really like, I think the old school approach of having, that's why I say you get to a point where the PTs have kind of led their course because once is that clear to jog kind of happens is usually where, where it runs its course because you have to understand sport and you have to understand movement and you have to understand what that student athlete's going to do because if it's a football player and your progression is to go and do start at a minute jog and work up to like a 30 minute jog, well, they're not going to do that in their sport ever. So like, I want to again, work his gate initially and we'll do some mechanics and stuff like that early on to, to rework his gate. But like, I want to prepare him for the energy system that we're going to use. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need him to go and jog for 30 minutes straight and have all that, that ground contact to his knee, just rolling, rolling, rolling because if he's going on a weekend and jogging through 30 minutes and he comes back to me on Monday and goes, coach, I'm really sore. Well, dude, you're never going to run 30 minutes in a, in a straight line ever. Like you're a defensive end. Like you're not going to do that. So um, in terms of like th that sprint, once I get to that jog and like before we're clear to jog, it's all gate mechanics, sprint mechanics, literally at, you know, eight marches, just working hands, knees up, toe up, just trying to find positions, work the hip flexors and hamstrings. Because for me, like, the the worst thing we could do is prepare them in terms of the weight room and get them load, loaded and strong, but not prime their hamstrings to go and run again because they haven't done it, right? Like that's the last thing that kind of comes within that power phase is being able to run at max effort sprinting. Um, but if I've done nothing to prepare our hamstrings at, at a velocity that 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 they'll run at, then then again, I failed them because the last thing we need to do is go through this whole knee injury, go through our entire progression, then feel strong, feel ready but I've done nothing for their hamstring and then they go and run at max effort forties uh, and then he tears his hamstring. Well, again, like we've, we've, we've missed a big bucket. So like 
within our, our kind of power phase where like our training, training integration kind of where I'm at now, they'll do some like velocity banded hamstring, you know, they'll do some, some, um, what I call tantrums and stuff like that. And then they'll do some, some single like glute bridges and literally just try and work to get their hamstrings completely overloaded without really being on their feet. Um, because for me again, it's hip flexors and hamstrings. So again, I'm trying to work as much of that as possible early on and throughout the process. That way, when I do put them on that short to long kind of sprint progression is what I would call it. Um, like he's ready to run when it's time to run. Um, the last thing that I want to do is, is like I said, prepare my kid to get strong, be strong and change direction, all that stuff again, if he's not able to go at hundred percent. So we'll work kind of in this, this, these phases, again, primary healing to training integration. And then once we get through training integration, it's return to performance, right? Like let's get them doing what they're going to do. Um, everything's controlled up until training integration, in which in any case we can start throwing some reactive stuff at them. Um, and then once we get to that return to performance, like let's see them on air in their sport, right? Like they're still not probably going to be live, you know, with anybody else, but like, again, you're going to start putting them in like one-on-one situations, a little bit more like individual drills, a little bit more kind of, uh, close to game like simulation as much as possible. Because like, again, if you're not expecting, again, we're talked about VBT and tech, we're far removed from thinking that like just hip raises and heel raises and all the other stuff are going to be like what prime students to go play again. Um, so I want to put them in positions that they're going to feel like they're out there playing, even though they're not necessarily live with their team. So like, that's where like, you might be, it might be me and them on the field and I'm giving them some reactive stuff and I'm going out there through it with them and we're running, um, and I'm trying to play DB and he's a tight end or whatever, or, you know, I'm simulating a line, whatever it could be, because again, like they have to feel what it's like to play. And I try and integrate as much as I can of sport sport specific and I, I hate that term as well but like as much as i can that they're going to feel those positions feel what it's like to play their sport because ultimately that's what they want to get back to right they're not trying to get back in the weight room they're trying to get back on the field so like getting strong and all that stuff for me means nothing if they're not ready to go play in their sport so like as much as i can throw throw them out in situations to start feeling their sport whether it's basketball baseball softball um make it specific even some of that reaction stuff, right? Like if I have a softball player, which I did in the, in the spring uh, or sorry, the fall last year, like just doing shuffles, but then like having someone roll a softball at her to feel like she's fielding because like, again, that's what she wants to get back to. She doesn't want to go side to side because she just wants to go side to side. So like trying to make it as applicable as possible um, to where they enjoy the training that they're doing as well. Because like, again, like we're trying to keep that plan B as close to plan A and so whatever our football guys are doing is what the full, like what my athlete for the most part is doing, maybe at a regress version. And then same thing with a softball athlete. Like if they're doing softball stuff in the fall, um, you know, she's coming with me lifting four times a week and we're working gate mechanics, whatever it could be in terms, terms of a knee injury. Um, and again, obviously we can adjust this, this continuum based off the injury. Like it's not subjective. It's not, it's not to one, one injury. Um, I do think some of the the methods that are out there in terms of blood flow ref- restriction and 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 all that stuff and and ISO like I, again I'm a big ISOs pogos and keep it simple because I think for them when you start to try and get too complex with somebody who's injured like they're just like I don't want to do this um, and that's like they're already at a mental fatigue because they can't play their sport so 
if I start throwing stuff at them that like just just frustrates them. Um, even like I don't want to say even if I know it's better for them. Like I just try and keep it simple because I want them to be as do as much as they're able to. That's like everybody else because the last thing any any injured kid wants is to be segregated out and out, you know to the. the well, I'm upstairs because I can't lift with everybody else. No, like you can lift with everybody else, but let's do it with what we're able to do. And then like you and I can go for 15 minutes after and do our own stuff or 15 minutes before you come, the team comes in and do our own stuff. Because that mental part for me is just as important as reintroducing all of the movement, rebuilding all of the strength, because it doesn't matter if I get you at 90% of your vertical jump or if I get you at 90% of your strength, if you don't feel like you're ready to go. because that mind game that will play when you're injured is going to be the most taxing thing. Like it's not going to be the, the, the squats. It's not going to be the bench press, it's not going to be the sprinting, the hamstring integrity stuff. It's going to be saying, coach, like, I know I can't, like, I can't perform at hundred percent right now. Like that's what you'll hear from your athlete. It's not, well, I used to squat this. It's going to be, well, I know I can do this, but my mind's telling me like, or I, I just don't feel hundred percent. Like that's what they're going to say. And so you have to adjust and say like, Dude, like, like I had a kid last, like last week we introduced spring ball stuff and he came and he goes, coach, I feel like garbage because now I'm not lifting four times a week, but I'm outside four times. And I said, you feel like garbage because you went from being at a program where we were lifting four times a week to rebuild the strength to now being on a program that cares more about the movement. And so you feel like garbage because again, the load and the volume wasn't super high or intense, but now you're actually doing stuff that's closer to your sport. And you feel like garbage because you haven't done it in six months, right? Like we're trying to prepare you to go play. I, I again, obviously you have to be strong enough, but we got to go move. Like movement's the medicine, right? Like the strength will come, but if you can't move, like you can't play. And like now, just telling them, like, dude, like it's okay that you feel that way. We're gonna get you to a hundred percent. And if you don't feel a hundred percent, that's the conversation for me to tell our coach. Like so and so not doesn't feel a hundred percent structurally. Uh, strength wise, like he's a hundred, like everything's healed. Everything's good. Like we're 10 months post, whatever it could be. But if he doesn't feel hundred percent, like I'm not going to put him out there. Right. Cause if you don't play again, like, like it doesn't matter the sport, if you don't play it aggressively and violently and you play at 60% while everybody else is playing hundred percent, that's when the re-injury happens because you don't feel like you're ready to roll. And I want to make sure that mentally just as, as, as physically, like you're ready to roll because I could do everything I can to get you mentally or to get you physically ready. And that's simple. Like I can go through those 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 phases in terms of trying to build the strength, get you at max strength, reintroduce power, and then get you moving in terms of what your sport looks like. But if you can't go out there and say, Coach, I can do this when I'm telling you I can and all the tests that we've done tell us you can. Well, again, I'm going to your coach and saying, Hey, so and so's not ready because they're not hundred percent sure that they can do this, even though structurally, strength wise, movement wise, they're good. Um, so yeah. Awesome, Travis. That's kind of a lot to pack there at one point. Okay, let's kind of dissect that a little bit. Uh, one is that I want to commend you for having you know such a in-depth program because one is I don't think it's a program that's ignored. I think it's a program that you know coaches don't normally think about. You know, we're focused on well, we're going to go through hypertrophy, strength, power. You know, we're trying to get as much you know juice out of these athletes as we possibly can so they can be stronger so they can be quicker so they can you know be better at their sport but it comes to the point of what happens when a kid gets injured and to have a protocol like that and a program like that to where you know you know exactly what to do and progress them 
through that um, time of being injured to, you know, performing back on the field is huge, man. That's huge for, you know, y'all's program there. Now, the other side that you talked about was the mental side because as an injured athlete myself, you know, when I tore my hamstring, I mean, it, it your mind plays with you a lot. And, um, you know, to sit there and guide your athletes through that time and understand what they're going through, that's huge because, yes, we can go through the whole protocol and everything like that, but up until, you know, they're going back to the field and they're like, Coach, I don't know if I can do this. And that mental game starts playing them more on the field, and you're like, well, I mean, you know, we need to do what we can to progress his mind as well, not just his physical body, but their mental minds as well. So every every season we have kind of like a, a coaches meeting and, and this past year was kind of me introducing myself and kind of what my philosophy is in terms of just making sure they understand that I'm kind of the return to play coordinator. Um, and the first thing I tell all of our coaches is that, hey, if someone gets hurt, one, they have to go to the ATs, they have to come to me, whatever. Again, if it's if it's injured, right, then there's a little bit more in depth process to that. But we when there is an injury, like we as a staff, we as a school have to one support, but two get them involved, right? Because like if they're if we're just saying like, oh, so and so is hurt, like don't come to practice. Like you're good. Like it's okay. We know you're hurt. We we know you can't be here. No man, like, hey, we know you're hurt. Like, hey, come like just adjust the value. Hey, be around the guys. Come learn. Like, like our injured athlete, like who again who's like seven months post, like normally a baseball player as well, hurt himself in football, like didn't play baseball obviously because we're going through his process right now. He was still out there like, you know, he was the guy that they would bring the ball back to or whatever. And he was, you know, still involved coaching guys up on, you know, third baseline, whatever it would be like getting involved with the team. Because like that atmosphere of just trying to keep everything normalized made him feel like he was still part of the team. Right. And some of that for some athletes, that's like all they need to like still feel like, okay, I know I can't go 100 percent, but I can go hit a ball off a tee or I can go and do my return to play stuff out in the field but I'm still around the team, it makes it saying, okay, like I know I'm still part of the team and I'm still involved versus just being the dude that's like, hey, like I got a jersey, but I'm not allowed to wear it because, I, because I'm at home. Or, you know, coach said I don't have to be at practice. Like, and that's the case too. Like, and I told all of our coaches, like, make them involved. Like if they get hurt and they like physically can't play, like, and obviously within, within reason, like I'm not going to ask a kid that has a dislocated shoulder to be picking out, you know, tarps and stuff like that. But like, like, Let's get them involved as much as we can to keep them a part of the team because, like, that's where, like, if the moment they're gone and they're removed, that's when the mental games really play. And, like, for me, like, again, just like probably every strength coach there is, like, we've all had some form of injury, right? So, like, I've, I've freaking fractured my kneecap, dislocated shoulders, everything like that. And the first thing that happens is, like, once you get put on crutches, like, coach is like, all right, you're on crutches, we're good. Well, what are we doing, man? Like we, we, like I don't care what it is. Again, some some sports say, man, like you're gonna be the stats guy today, but you're still part of the squad. Like, hey, coach so and so up. Like, be that dude because like I'm all about inclusion and trying to make sure everybody has a piece and everybody has a role because like that's what's gonna build the program. Like when people are bought in, right? Like, especially when you're hurt because if I'm hurt and I'm removed, like, and you didn't check on me or. You weren't trying to get me involved. Like, I don't want to play for that guy. Like, most that's how kids will react. Like, if they're not, like, feeling like they're invested in, even when they're not performing, okay, well, we have to be able to support them and say, hey, get with us. Like, we want you here. Like, we want to keep you involved, 
even though right now you can't perform. And especially nowadays, just in terms of like social social economics and everything else that's going on, like transfer portal and stuff like that, obviously at high school is a little different, but like kids want to know that the coach is going to be invested in them beyond the game, right? Like the kids don't want to feel like you're using them so that they could succeed in sport and like you're going to piggyback off them. Kids want to know that you're invested in them for the right reasons and they like they actually feel to care beyond like, hey, like I'm going to go play at the next level. Coach wants to like make sure I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to see all my kids succeed, but I want them to know that I care. I always tell our kids like, dude, if it's if you're 21 years old, right, and you're you're beyond this and you're beyond school and you've made a mistake, I want you to ask yourself two questions, right? Why? Right. Where? Where am I? And then I want you to be like, all right, I gotta co- I gotta call Coach Webb because I need someone that's gonna help me. And I always tell my kids like, I'm 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 gonna care for you beyond the beyond the the classroom, beyond the weight room because like, if you are in a situation like, I want to make sure that one you either like know how one why you got there or two like how to get out of it. And I'm not saying get away with anything like that's not what I'm saying, but like I want them to know that they're they're supported. Like when they make a mistake, I want I want them to own it. But like even more when they're hurt, like they just feel like they, they don't they don't get to be a part of anything. And like I tell my kids, even if you're hurt, like if you can't participate and your coach isn't let it, like come to the weight room and I'll find something for you to do. Like you can come here and like you can like you sure you know how to lift. Like you can sit in the corner and like coach dudes up, or you can come in and collect my data for for plyomat, whatever it might be. Like be involved, like hey, you want to come in, like get an extra lift during lunch, whatever. Like, cool, let's roll. Because I want I want everybody to feel invested in especially when it hurt. Right, and there's one, There's always a saying that I've heard from sport coaches and I've, I've used it myself is everyone's got a role on the team. And, you know, you may not be the first stringer, you may not be the second stringer, but when you're injured and you're a no-stringer at that point, I mean, like, there's stuff that you can do. Um, you know, and I think it's up to a coach's responsibility to kind of guide and, you know, give that road to, well, this is what you could do. You know, you have options of being a stat person. You have options like if you're, you know, uh, got this okay shoulder. You know, there there are still some things that you can do with this team that you know you don't have to isolate yourself. And I, I it just comes from a, a, I guess a heart of passion for these athletes as well. And I think we can relate more to it as injured athletes ourselves. Like I understand that you know going and sitting in your dorm room or going and sitting in your room and playing video games is daunting because you're trying to take your mind off you know because i can't do xyz thing but um yeah that's awesome travis yeah man like i i just think that they're like in 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 our field there is like like it's okay to be vulnerable a little bit right like i think that that's something that like everybody in our field like wants to puff up their chest and stuff like that but i think we all we all do it within the right the right reasons i think like we might puff our chest up. We might be really hard on students and we might be really hard on kids. But then there's, there's times that like you need to just take that breath in and relax, push it out, exhale and say like, Hey dude, it's okay that we, you made a mistake. Cause like we've all been there. We've all made that mistake. And like, you know, again, we're here to, here to support you. Like we're here to build you up as much as we are to break you down. Exactly, man. Well, let's go ahead and start wrapping up here. Um, always love this segment. It's the last thing we always do. Uh, conjugate coach spotlight. So is there anyone out there you want to shout out that's making the difference in the field of strength and conditioning? Um, yeah, man, I think, I think there's a lot of people doing it, doing it really well. Um, I think like nowadays is the, it's just different. So, uh, obviously I kind of, I just want to first shout out kind of all my, 
um, you know, mentors, obviously I kind of already did, but like Lombardozzi at um, Brunswick High School, um, Coach Powell here, um, all my guys that were at UMass, like I don't stop, talk to those guys enough, but like I appreciate them probably more than they know. And then like guys that are doing it really, really well. Obviously, I really appreciate Kyle. Um, I wouldn't have my position if Kyle wasn't as smart as he was to go get somewhere else. Um, so obviously he's he's been impactful for me. Um, Coach Hoover obviously been a been a big impact for me too. Just being able to pick his brain on some certain things. Um, Coach Joey G can't not shout him out because like a lot of his stuff is just so superb that like it's simple, which I love because when it gets too complex, things just start to get out of whack. Um, and then like yeah, man, I, I think there's just a lot of schools that are that are doing it well, and you know obviously schools that aren't don't have strength coaches so. Um, I think that those kind of are, are the ones that I'd probably say are, are right now where the, one of the leading factors of, of where I'm at currently. So those guys have all helped me. Awesome, Travis. And I want to thank you again for being on the Conjugal Chats and, you know, bringing insight to several topics of internships and return to play and everything else in between, man. That's completely awesome to have you on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Like I said in the beginning, like it was an honor just because like, you're so well connected and, and, and obviously these, these conversations are, are, like I said, you learn by conversation. So um, even though it's hearing me, you know, hearing me kind of talk about certain things that work for me or things that I do and, you know, all that stuff, I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other. No one does it. You know, again, I'm not egotistical and saying that my way is the best way. Like I think that there's, there's things that can be done better and, and the podcast definitely helps, helps kind of figure those things out. So I appreciate you more than you know, too. Absolutely, man. And that's another episode of the Conjugate Chats. Please follow our social media platforms at Conjugate Chat Podcast on Twitter, TikTok. Also, follow Travis on his social media as well. In the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. Before we end this episode here, I wanted to bring the light to something. Um, most people on here are either strength coaches or aspiring strength coaches. Um, for those that are aspiring strength coaches out there, um, I set up a Gumroad account, a uh, store even, to provide value back into the field of strength conditioning. Starting with, um, I have study guides on there uh, for anyone that's not pass the CSCS or is going to take the CSCS. Um, these are study guys that I've developed over the last three years that I've used in my attempts to pass the CSCS and I wanted to bring that value here to our podcast. So if you will go to the link in the description of this episode, you'll see a link to my Gumroad in which you can purchase or just download for free uh, the study guys for CSCS, a couple of my guides for in uh, in season training, and also um, 
a couple of our products in there as well. Again, thank you for listening in on the Conjure Chats, and thank you for your continuous support.